Hey, what's up, everybody? This is the greatest show on dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I am your host, Quentin. Today is Mother's Day, Sunday, May 12th. Happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. And I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to my own mother. Her name is Kathy. I probably, I think maybe I'm not supposed to give people's last names, but um, my mother is probably the best mom that ever lived, I think. So shout out to mom. She's the one that gave me the outgoingness to, uh, you know, do this podcast and yap about baseball. So thank you for that for sure. And, you know, she was awesome growing up, man. You know, she, uh, on days when my dad had to work late, like she would throw BP to me out in the yard. We had a pretty big yard at the house. So I always, you know, as a youngster, I had to get batting practice in. And my mom's pretty athletic, right? So my mom's like 5'9 or 5'10 or something like that. And she looks like Marion Jones, basically. So she looks like she can run track. So she's pretty athletic, right? So she could throw a pretty good fastball, but she didn't really have any aim to it. So if I had to, hold on, let me think about this. If I had to compare my mom to like a major league pitcher, I'm going to go with Wild Thing Mitch Williams on this one because, like, she could throw heat. But my mother was a very erratic pitcher. So she hit me a few times, right? She hit me a few times. She'd put him in the hip. She wouldn't care. You know, she would say it was on accident. But I don't know, man. She might have been just trying to get me high and inside to intimidate me. You know, to this day, she says it was on accident. But I don't know if I believe her or not because I know she's a phenomenal athlete. And she's just hitting me, man. And I charged the mound one time on her. That um, I didn't go really well. You know, my mom was the type of mom to hold you down and spit between your eyes. So if you could imagine when I was a kid, like eight or nine or 10, and I charged the mound on her, you know, those sort of things don't end well. But when I get about 12 or 13, you know, I could hold my own. So I was always on the lookout for that high shit, you know, throwing me that heat. She would do it though, man. Um, and she will also let, like, one of the things I've always appreciated about my mom is she would, like, she let me find my own way. And, um, you know, she was a lenient mom. You know, I never really got in a lot of trouble. Like the first time I went out and got hammered drunk, I come back to the house and I'm just throwing up everything because right the first time when you get drunk, like it was, we got a, me and my buddy Josh got a case of Keystone Light and I didn't know how to drink, right? And you sort of have to know that. And when you're, you know, like a 15 year old that weighs like a hundred pounds there's and no tolerance, there's not a whole lot there's not a wall built up that can sort of protect you from it. So, and you know, I'm a fast talker. I do everything in my life fast. And that includes eating and drinking still to this day. If I drink, which isn't a lot, I drink real fast. So that's how my first time getting drunk was. So I just drank all this Keystone light as fast as I could and threw up for probably, I mean, it was the worst hangover to this day I've ever had in my life. And, um, so I come home like the next morning. Cause that night I stayed at Josh's house and, Josh's grandma calls. We were at his grandparents' house. We stayed there. And so Josh's grandma calls my mom and was like, hey, you know, I think they got into a little bit of booze last night. And I had come home and pretty much just laid in bed all day. And my mom was like, I had an excuse built up already. And so my mom asked me what was wrong. I told her I got into some bad Taco Bell, which seems to make perfect sense. Like any excuse I have, like if I need to get out of work or like in this case, when I was super hungover and uh, you know, underage drinking, my first goal was like, dude, just tell him that you ate Taco Bell and got sick because everyone knows Taco Bell's good, but it's also disgusting. <laughs> and like, it could probably give you food poisoning. So I tell my mom, I said, yeah, mom, I got into some Taco Bell, man. And I feel real sick. And, um, you know, with like a cautious eye, 
she was like, okay, like you're sick. Just stay in bed and chill, right? And so my dad told me the rest of the story just like a few years ago. So my um, my mom and my dad are talking and my dad's like, so what's wrong with the son? You know, that's how he talks. He's kind of like Shawn Michaels. He's got a rasp in his voice. So what's wrong with Quentin? And my mom's like, oh, he got into some Taco Bell. And my dad's like, you believe that shit? <laughs> and my mom's like, well, yeah, he said he got into some Taco Bell. And my dad looks at my mom and goes, well, your son might have got into some Taco Bell, but my son's drunk off his ass. <laughs> he went out drinking last night. And that was that story, man. It's just getting hammered, dude. And, you know, my mom's that's what I said. Like, she let me find my own way, dude. Like, she was the mom who, when I was a little kid, like three or four, I could just sit on her lap and I would take the steering wheel while she was smoking Marlboro Light. It was the greatest thing ever, man. I would also drive to the grocery store when I was like 13. I would drive to the gas station because she knew the lady that worked at the gas station. And as like a 13-year-old, I would drive my mom's Pontiac Grand Prix to the gas station and buy her cigarettes. Like, you can't do those things anymore. And that's why part of me sort of misses the uh, the good old days of being able to just, you know, drive to the gas station and buy your mom's cigs without an ID. You can't do those sort of things anymore. But I'm unbelievably blessed to have her in my life, man. Kathy McCree, the greatest mom ever. She... um you know, I wouldn't be in the situation where I'm at. Like, I recognize what my parents did for me at a young age to set the platform for me to go out and get an education and get a job that paid actual money and buy my own house. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful for what she did to me. We still have a really close relationship today. Honestly, like, as we just get older, it gets better. And, you know, I would sort of just encourage everybody to take, like, an extra, like, second out of your day and really dig deep. Um you know, and understand and fully just like grasp a hold of like what both of your parents do for, you You know, if you have a mom and have, don't have a dad or vice versa or whatever, at least on this day, just celebrate those, um, you know, those women in your life that, you know, give to you and make things possible. Cause I think one of the most important things, uh, you know, that I try to live for, you know, on a daily basis is recognizing what people have given me. And I try to live with thankfulness because there's so many things that you could sit back and think about and think of all the things you have, you know, these material possessions or, you know, your personality and way of thinking and, you know, your way of looking at life. Much of those things, all of those things were actually handed to us because when we came on this earth, we were just babies who pooped our pants and relied on others to feed us. So the fact that all of us are alive right now and can think for ourselves and provide for ourselves, you know, it's because of the, the woman in our life who carried our fat asses for nine months and gave birth to us, which is also a hard thing because I know if I was a woman, I wouldn't give birth to anybody, man. <laughs> like I would have a surrogate or just never have a kid. Um, but you know, I'm, that's not the case. You know, me and my wife will we'll have a kid sometime soon. And I'm super interested in the free labor that comes with having a child. <laughs> like I can't wait for some kid that, that I own to like go out and mow the yard and be like, Hey, I'll give you five bucks. Go mow the yard knowing good and well that the going rate for lawn care is like 15 to 20 bucks a yard. That is what it is, man. Happy Mother's Day, dude. Um, go call him. Tell him. Tell him you love him, man. Tell him you love him hardcore, dude. And really just sit back and think about the goodness that comes from that. All right. Let's get into the pod. Man, you know, I have so many more mom stories. I could just get into them. I think I need to have a mom segment and possibly just have my mom on the podcast. Uh, just so many things. Like she would take us TP and as kids. Like I was in grade school, like fourth grade. She would take us out teeping at like 10 o'clock at night. And when you're like eight, five, six years old, like, dude, it's the greatest thing ever. All right, but let's get into some baseball standings. I'll tell you what's going on right now. Give you a rundown of some stuff that I think, all things I'm probably wrong at. 
Um, let's start with the AL East, man, because that's what comes first on ESPN.com, dude. Tampa Bay Rays, one and a half game lead over the New York Yankees. They actually beat the Yankees yesterday, and there was a little bit of a squabble. As it turns out, Yanni Chirinos, who's a starting pitcher for, well, uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, who wore their Devil Rays jerseys yesterday, which I absolutely love. Uh, Yanni Chirinos hit, uh, like, oh, he hit Luke Voigt. And like the top of his shoulder. So it was a really high pitch. And then got the next guy. I don't know who was up next. Got him to uh, Brett Gardner, I think, grounded into a double play. And then the very next batter was Gary Sanchez. And he hit Gary Sanchez too. And after he hit Gary Sanchez, he was like on the mound. And he waved his arms in there like, oh, shucks, I hit another guy. But after Yanni Chirinos hit the first guy, Luke Voigt, CeCe Sabathia came out of the dugout. He was angry. He, he had a few choice words for uh, all the Tampa Bay Rays team on the field. And a lot of that goes back to, uh, you know, apparently there were some Tampa Bay Rays pitchers that threw at some Yankees last year. And that was the game where CeCe Sabathia hit a Tampa Bay Ray and got ejected from the game when he was like three outs from a performance bonus that would have paid him an extra million dollars. So he just hit a guy knowing it would cost him a million dollars. But in a stellar move over the offseason, the Yankees went ahead and gave him that million-dollar bonus anyway. It was an innings performance level that he had to reach. And I, I, I'm so glad that CeCe Sabathia came for another year. And I can tell you this, if you ever get the chance today, especially if you listen to this today, um, keep your eye on these Yankees Tampa Bay Rays matchups because they're getting a little WWE on us, man. Um, the Red Sox are coming on strong, dude. They've won their last four games, and they're four games back of the division, which means they're about two and a half back of yeah, two and a half back of the New York Yankees right now. So that division's going to line out with three really stud teams at the top of it. You're not going to really have to worry about the Blue Jays or the Orioles. I know Marcus Stroman is pitching extremely well for the Blue Jays right now, but he's probably just going to get traded. So that division is going to be a three-team race, but damn good three teams. You know, my wish for that division is I, I want the Tampa Bay race to somehow make the postseason. Um, you know, I'd say there's a chance they could probably be both the two wildcard teams because once you get into the NL Central, I don't think the second-place team in the NL Central is going to win the wild card uh, in the AL Central the Minnesota Twins have a they have a five game lead over the Cleveland Indians and still as it sits right now the Minnesota Twins have the best record in baseball and the Tampa Bay Rays have the second best record in baseball I would have never thought even me who's wrong on like every baseball prediction I make Listen, I would have never thought <laughs> that I couldn't have even predicted that the Twins and the Rays record-wise would be the top two teams halfway through May. But as it sits, that's what it is. The Minnesota Twins have a 658 winning percentage. They're, they're playing good baseball, man. And, you know, they're leading the Central, and they could easily win the Central Division. Uh, go out West, dude, and the Houston Astros have a five-and-a-half game lead on the LA Angels. The Mariners, they've really come down to earth, man. They are... Oh, shoot, they've lost eight of their last 10, the Mariners have, and they're 20 and 22. So here's the thing about it, man. Um, you'll get two wildcard teams, and if you look at it, like I don't think anyone in the Astros division Well, um, man, I shouldn't say that, man. The, the Oakland Athletics were the wildcard team last year, them and the Yankees. The Athletics are three games under 500 right now, but it was last year that the uh, Oakland Athletics made a big push. 
and had a phenomenal they had a phenomenal second half. I don't remember when Oakland kicked it in gear, but I know a lot of what happened in Oakland last year was because they had really good starting pitching. And I don't know, a lot of that was just, it was the perfect storm because there was a lot of guys, they had a lot of starters get injured, a lot of guys maybe you had never heard of. They sort of just had this makeshift starting rotation that pitched really good. And it would seem to be that the Oakland Athletics are going to have to replicate that especially because the Oakland Athletics had good guys in the bullpen with Blake Trinan. Excuse me, I got the sniffles. And Lou Trevino. And they had so much pitching success last year. It's going to be hard to replicate that again. So, I mean, they're really going to have to start playing their asses off because the Tampa Bay Rays, they don't look like they're a fluke being, um, you know, the second best team record-wise in the American League right now. And leading the AL East because they've got really good pitching and they've got great offense. All right, heading down to the National League. We've got the Philadelphia Phillies. They lead the NL East by three games over the Braves, three and a half over the Mets. The Washington Nationals, they're like seven games under 500 right now. I don't know how a team that has that many good players succeeds at being so crappy, but the Nationals, they did it last year and they're continuing to do so this year. So, Way to go, Washington. You know, there's not a whole lot of good things that come out of D.C. And I don't know, man. Um, That's just what's going on. The NL Central, the Cubs, are leading that shindig. They look to be the best team in that division. They've got the Brewers up by one. And the St. Louis Cardinals, dude, have lost eight out of their last ten games. And they're in third place in that division. Pirates four, Cincy fifth. Heading out to the west, L.A. Dodgers. They are 26-16. and 16. They're up in that division. They are ahead of the Padres and the Diamondbacks by three games. That division, you know, um, oh shoot, the Rockies are like six games under 500. And the Diamondbacks, look, they look good right now, man. Eduardo Escobar, they got a guy named Christian Walker, I believe is his name. He took over at first base for Paul Goldschmidt. And I think he was always a... He's a decently regarded prospect. He was just always blocked by Paul Goldschmidt, who's really good at baseball, if you don't know. And him getting the chance to play, dude's been stellar for them, man. So that's sort of like the rundown on the standings, man. I don't know if I have much to add. You know, if I were to throw off a quick power rankings, like I think the – gosh, it's so hard because it's so early in the season. And always when I pick power rankings, I want to do it by – just record, but I can say this, man. If I have to say the two best teams in the American League that I would not want to face, I would put the Houston Astros at the best team in the American League right now in my power rankings. And then the second best team, I think I would truly put the Tampa Bay Rays because of their inte- their baseball intelligence um, amongst like the players in the clubhouse and with upper management and with the coaches that are in the clubhouse. So I would put the Houston Astros one and the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Rays, too, in the American League. And then when I look in the National League, power ranking-wise, I have to, because the Cubs' offense and the Cubs' starting pitching is so good, I would put the Chicago Cubs as the number one ranked team in the National League. And then number two, I would put the Los Angeles Dodgers, because even though Clayton Kershaw can't pitch in the postseason, he can sure pitch in the regular season. I believe he's back. Walker Buehler is going to start to come around. Hinjin Ryu is going to come around. And then Cody Bellinger, dude, what is today? May 12th, and he's still batting 400. So, yeah. So that's the scoop on that, man. Let's get to whatever we got next. All right, next on the list, 
I'm reading a book. <laughs> that may come as a surprise to some of you that know me, but I'm, I'm reading a book, and it's not a Goosebump book. It is written by Buck O'Neill. It's Buck O'Neill's autobiography titled, I Was Right on Time. If you don't know who Buck O'Neill is, I'll give you like a quick go at it right now. He was a player and then later a player coach for the Kansas City Monarchs. So he managed the Monarchs and played for a little bit. You know, back when they would do that, managers would play. I wish they would do that now. That would be amazing to have managers also play baseball as well. I can imagine Lou Pinella like playing baseball when he's like 16, just like ripping bases out of the ground and throwing them when like he gets called out at second. And that's what Buck O'Neill was, man. He was, um, he passed away in 06 at the age of 94, I believe. He was one of the most loving, caring dudes, not just in regards to baseball, but definitely regarding baseball, but just life in general. He's a, he's a very important figure when it comes to the Negro Leagues as far as getting the word out about the great players that played in the Negro Leagues. And, you know, I, I for one, think that that's super important, Um just because it's a huge part of baseball. And I know oftentimes, because, I mean, I'm, I'm a white male, so I don't, I mean, you know, like growing up, like I'd never thought about the Negro Leagues. Like I'd heard of Satchel Paige from school and obviously Jackie Robinson, because even as Buck O'Neill said it, uh, Buck O'Neill was on David Letterman, I think in 98. And he actually pointed out that, um, Jackie Robinson playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers and being signed was actually the start of this big civil rights movement. You know, when Jackie Robinson started playing minor league ball and playing with the Dodgers, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was a sophomore at Morehouse and Rosa Parks hadn't even refused to give up her seat on the bus yet. And even like when it comes down to the importance of Jackie Robinson in baseball, oftentimes to me, it's just a retired number and... It's something that obviously Major League Baseball celebrates every year, but I don't fully understand it because I'm not an African-American whose grandpa was a slave, right? I don't, but in getting into Buck O'Neill's book, it's given me, to ch given me the chance to understand better not only what these players went through in um, the Negro Leagues and beyond, because there are a lot of Negro League players that went on to play Major League Baseball, like Ernie Banks, before he was a Chicago Cub, he was a Kansas City Monarch. Uh, Hank Aaron, before Hank Aaron played for the Atlanta Braves, he played for the Indianapolis... Oh, I don't remember the team. I'm sorry. But he, uh, Hank Aaron was also a Negro League player before he came on to the Major Leagues, as was... I think maybe Lou Brock was at well as well. Buck O'Neill actually discovered Lou Brock and brought him to the Cubs. Uh, Buck O'Neill was later a scout, obviously, the for Chicago Cubs. But just the stories in this book, um, you know, just to sort of open up about, you know, what the Negro Leagues meant, what they went through, but how they actually provided for the game of Major League Baseball and built up Major League Baseball with African-American fans um, what guys like Rube Foster did, who's often called the father of black baseball. And he actually, Rube Foster invented the hit and run. And Rube Foster invented the screwball and taught it to Christy Matthewson. Yeah, there's all, and it's like, it's stories like that 
that are so fun to dig into and you read about them and you're just like, holy cow, there's so much really good story here, you know, because I guess part of me just always assumed like when I would think about the Negro Leagues, um, yeah, I didn't think about them a lot. And maybe when I did, I would just think, oh, that's when baseball was segregated. Like that's a bad time. But there's so much in here to be celebrated. And Buck O'Neill does a phenomenal job of that in his book. You know, I'm just at the beginning of his book right now. Maybe I'm like 50 pages into it, I believe. But um, so far, like being just that much into it, you know, it really engulfs this story of like the human spirit, the power of human resolve, like the will to continue, you know, in the face of danger to play baseball, to do what you want to do to fight for freedom, right? And even as me being a white dude, you know, these stories and the meaning behind these stories can, you know, help anyone with their life. You know, I think to read this stuff and to understand what these players did for not only baseball, but for other human beings can help even normal people like me, like in my life, you know, to, to you know, to read these stories about these guys that, you know, in the face of danger continued on. And they're really, really awesome stories to read, you know? And I've, I've always admired people like that. Like, anytime, no matter, like, no matter, like, what they were involved in, I've always really admired people who, in the face of adversity, continue on and can do so and not change who they are. And, you know, that's what Buck O'Neill is, and I can already tell it in this book. Uh, Buck O'Neill's grandfather, Julius O'Neill, was a slave. He was born on the Niger River, and he was brought over on a slave ship when he was a boy. And, and Buck O'Neill lived till he was 94, and his grandpa, Julius, lived till he was like 98. And Buck O'Neill's grandpa, who was a slave, told Buck when he was a kid, he said, listen, I believe there's enough good in any white man to overcome racism. And to read that part in this book, I was completely taken away because I couldn't imagine being a slave and then being free after like a big civil war happened, knowing that most people don't want me to be free, but here I am and I still have to deal with tons of adversity and can't drink out of water fountains and can't go to school to say that. That's, you know, that's what created Buck O'Neill, who was this amazing advocate for the Negro Leagues who led the effort to create the Negro League Museum in Kansas City, Missouri. But his optimism is what makes him so amazing and really has these stories come to life. And I'm going to play a clip for you right now. This is a clip where Bo, or excuse me, where Buck O'Neill talks about the ultimate baseball sound, the crack of the bat, right? And I mean, it probably is, right? You think about springtime, Everything's turning green, birds chirping, and the crack of a baseball bat is phenomenal. And he explains like this particular crack of the bat, like this powerful, violent, loud boom off the bat. And he said there's a particular sound, like this powerful sound, right, that he only heard off of three baseball bats. And I'll play this clip right now. Let me turn everything up. And this is... Buck O'Neill describing what it was like. Okay, here we go. Sound before, and I was outside the fence, but it was a sound of the bat that I had never heard before in my life. That was Ruth hitting the ball. And the next time I heard that sound, I'm in Washington, D.C. I rushed out, and there was Josh Gibson hitting the ball. And I heard this sound again. 
Now, I didn't hear it anymore. I'm in Kansas City, and I heard this sound one more time that I hadn't heard only twice in my life. Now, you know who this is? Bo Jackson swinging at that, and now I heard this sound. It was a thrill for me. I said, here it is again. I heard it again. I've only heard it three times in my life, but now I'm living because I'm gonna hear it again one day if I live long enough. Yeah, and that's a clip from Ken Burns' baseball documentary, and that's actually how Buck O'Neill's book opens up, is <laughs> telling that story. And I'll for sure mention and, you know, give people, uh, you know, talk about stories that, like, as I come across while I'm reading this book, because there's there's a lot, a lot of good stuff in it, man. But the ones that have struck me so far are obviously this, and then the story about his great, his, uh, grandfather talking to him after you know he wasn't a slave anymore but i'm super excited to dig into this book man so i'll be sure to keep you guys in the loop and oh also what i want to do is i want to like every week i'm going to give you guys like a few names from the negro leagues and then sort of just tell you what i know about them and then probably just encourage you to google them right so i got three names so far that have come across in this book the first name john henry lloyd now he was a shortstop in the negro leagues and the only thing I know about him from the book is Babe Ruth said that John Henry Lloyd was the greatest baseball player that he had ever seen. This Babe Ruth, he's seen some pretty good guys. Um, but some about John Henry Lloyd, man, I think the book says that John Henry Lloyd was a combination of Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb because he could hit for power, but he was a really good hitter and could hit for well over 400. Uh, the second guy I've come across, Cool Papa Bell, probably one of the best nicknames ever in the history of the world. I mean, I wish someone had nicknamed me Cool Papa, but I, I did get nicknamed Q-Dog. Everyone just calls me Q-Dog, which is pretty cool. It sounds like it's got a decent amount of street cred, but when you meet me, dude, like, there's no street cred at all. Sorry about that. Uh, my mom didn't teach me to fight, man. She taught me to be fun, though. <laughs> We're going to have a good time. We can go vandalize if you want to and knock over some mailboxes. But Cool Papa Bell, many said he was the fastest, one of the fastest baseball players ever. Oftentimes, he, people said he was faster than Lou Brock. Yeah, the same Lou Brock that stole 118 bases in a season. Yeah, that guy. And then the third name that I've come across so far is Josh Gibson. Josh Gibson was the Black Babe Ruth. It was said that he hit 69 home runs in 1934, and Negro League stats weren't kept as diligently as um, MLB stats at the time, but people that saw him hit, do they say he hit like a 600-plus foot home run once? The guy looked stout, dude. He was like a big old, he was a big tree trunk, dude, like 6'2", 250, solid, man, and listen, um, Josh Gibson was so good, people started calling Babe Ruth the white Josh Gibson. <laughs> That's how good Josh Gibson was, man. And those are the three names I have for this week, man, ones I've come out with or whatever. And these are amazing baseball players. I believe all three of them are in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. I'm not too sure. But one of the other cool things that I've come across in this book already is Buck O'Neill was very instrumental in putting out the word of uh, Negro League players being recognized and actually making the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. And that's one of the things I admire so much about Buck O'Neill is there, there, there are people in our lives that we'll meet, and you don't meet them a lot, and they don't make them a lot. But there are individuals that are so loving, you can tell 
that they want to give and give and give and truly expect nothing in return. And Buck O'Neill is one of those guys. And the guy I sort of always compare Buck O'Neill to is Tim Tebow and The Rock. In my eyes, always like those two guys in current day, like current times right now in 2019, Tim Tebow and The Rock, they're two of the genuinely nicest people you'll ever meet. And they're super famous, but they'll also do anything for anybody. And I feel like expect nothing in return. There are just certain people I look at that I know just ooze with love and caring. And I've always felt that Tim Tebow and The Rock are two of those guys. And Buck O'Neill is in that same category of just someone who loves people and gives back and never, ever expects anything in return. And it was because Buck O'Neill saw how much the Negro Leagues meant and he felt that he needed to spread that word about these players and what they did that people might not know. And a big portion of his life was doing that. And even Buck O'Neill was up for Hall of Fame election one year and didn't get in. And honestly, he wasn't even mad about it. He wasn't even upset. He said, listen, I was lucky enough to get put on the ballot. They didn't think I was a Hall of Famer. And and Buck said, if you think I'm a Hall of Famer, then that makes me feel good. But otherwise, like that's really all that matters. And in that statement alone, there was no bitterness about not getting into the Hall of Fame. But rather, he said, if the people think I'm a Hall of Famer, that makes me happy because basically like all he wanted to do in his life is just give back. So over the next few weeks, I'll for sure be talking about a lot of Negro League players, Buck O'Neill, what they did for the game, what he's done for the game, and all of that stuff. Uh, let's get to the next clip. I need some music between like my clips. <laughs> That's what I really need. Let me get to the next one, guys. Here we go. Okay, I worked really hard on this next segment, and I call it... What did I name it? Hold on. I think I just named it the Over the Top Player of the Week. Its namesake, Over the Top, the movie. Listen, has anyone out there ever watched the movie Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone, where he's the truck driving arm wrestler? (laughs) If not, let me tell you about it. Listen, the main character, played by Stallone, his name is Lincoln Hawk. He's a long-haul truck driver who tries to win back his alienated son while becoming a champion arm wrestler. Dude, listen, if my dad's a champion arm wrestler, you don't need to win me back, bro. Let's just go to Vegas and get drunk and just watch you arm wrestle. This movie is amazing, dude. So how it sets up is Lincoln Hawkey's... I'm reading this straight off Wikipedia, okay? Because it's just so good. Listen, Lincoln Hawk is a struggling trucker who arm wrestles on the side. Yo, that's awesome. (laughs) Great. To make extra cash while he's trying to rebuild his life. Hawk's estranged wife, Christina, she's very ill. And she's like, Hawk, man, I need you to pick up our kid, right? And so he goes to pick up the kid. But apparently, like, his baby mama's family, they're, like, super rich. And they don't like Lincoln Hawk. And they don't like his ways. They don't like the fact that he's an arm wrestling truck driver. And I'll tell you this. If my son or daughter would have ever come home and say, hey, this is Lincoln. He's an arm wrestling truck driver. I'd be like, get out. Like, would you even find this guy out? Like, are you serious? Like, bro, you can't come in my house and date my kid, man. You're an arm wrestling truck driver, dude. And, dude, so, like, apparently, hold on. There's a really good part in here. Hold on. Okay, so what happens with Lincoln, man, 
is Lincoln gets the son, and then the son gets kidnapped by the rich by the rich grandfather's goons. And then Lincoln Hawk goes to the rich grandfather's house and he ram raids the house to try to get his son back. Ram raiding means breaking and entering by, by driving your vehicle through the front of the place. Like what um, Cousin Eddie did on Christmas Vacation or like what the Terminator did on Terminator when he said, I'll be back. And then he drives through the place like that's ram raiding. So I could tell you this. If you ever have to like rescue somebody, you want to ram raid the place. You want to drive your vehicle right through the front of it, right? That's what happens. So basically Lincoln gets arrested, dude. And then after he gets arrested, he leaves to compete in the World Arm Wrestling Championship in Las Vegas. His hope to win the grand prize of $100,000 and a brand new larger semi-truck and thus start his own trucking company. So, dude, <laughs> that is awesome. If this podcast doesn't work out, I wonder if I'm strong enough to do arm wrestling, right? Like, I'm not I'm not a thick dude, but I, I lift some weights every now and then. You know, it's not just all about booze and baseball with me. I'm a little athletic. Um, okay, so basically, like, that's what over the top is. It's Sylvester Stallone who is wants who has I don't know why to get his kid back. I understand like if he wins the arm wrestling competition, he wins a new semi truck and a hundred thousand dollars so he can start his own company. I'm not too sure why he has to be a champion arm wrestler to like get his son back. <laughs> That's interesting to me, but it's really great. But it seems to be that Lincoln Hawk, I would imagine the movie ends. He wins the title by beating like his arch rival who's already beat him once and he gets the money, gets the truck and gets his kid back. Right. So um, basically you can look at Lincoln Hawk as a guy that overcame all odds against, you know, a bunch of rich people that had a lot of goons to get his son back and to bring his family back together, even though his baby mama died at the beginning of it. And it was all driven by arm wrestling. And people told him he couldn't do it. They said, Lincoln, you can't be the champion arm wrestler. You're not strong enough to do it. You're not strong enough to arm wrestle people and beat them all. It can't be done. And he did it. And so I thought, do I just need to have an over-the-top player of the week? Because it's a movie I love. And there are probably baseball players out there that have overcome all odds. And by God, there is. And the first one I've got today is he's on the disabled list. But he's Minnesota Twins catcher, Williams Astudio, nicknamed La Tortuga, which means turtle in Spanish, right? So, I mean, if someone told me I look like a turtle, like, I would be like, that's not a compliment. Like, you can kiss my ass. Why did you just call me a turtle, right? Um, here's the thing, dude. I, I didn't say this, but scouts describe Williams Astudio as a guy that looks like Bartolo Colon. But hits like Ty Cobb. <laughs> Holy shit. That's amazing, dude. And like, check this out, dude. So I'm going to tell you some good things about William Astudito because right now he's on the disabled list, but he's had a phenomenal year. He's batting like 330. And the cool thing is about William's Astudio is he doesn't strike out ever across his whole entire minor league career. He struck out 81 times. In nearly 2,500 plate appearances, he has a strikeout rate of 3.3%. That might be better than Tony Gwynn. I'm not too sure, dude. Like, so he strikes out 3% of the time. Actually, I have numbers on this. Um, right now in the major leagues, he's been in the major leagues this season and part of last season. He's striking out 2.8% of the time. He's striking out less in the majors than he did in the minors. So it's not like, 
oh, once he sees bigger competition, he's going to strike out more? No, he's not, dude. Only two players have had lower strikeout rates for a season. Lower than what Williams Astudio has right now. That's Tony Gwynn and then some guy named Felix Furman. That is wild. But here's the thing about Williams Astudio. It took him 10 years to get to the major leagues because nobody opened their eyes to him, dude. They uh, Not only with Williams Astudio, dude, he's like 5'9". And weighs probably like 240 pounds. So he really does. Like he is built like Bartolo Colon, man. And people would look at his data sets. Scouts would and they'd be like, holy shit. Like that doesn't make any sense. Because not only is his strikeout rate really low. But his walk rate is really low. So he doesn't strike out and he doesn't walk. And part of the reasons why he doesn't walk is because he's just really good at making contact. And doesn't swing through pitches. So... People would look at his walk rate and they would be like, well, I don't want this guy because if he doesn't walk, then I know he's going to turn out shitty because all of the time, guys that can't draw a walk, they're just free swingers and they're just not really that good. But what happened with Williams is, check this out, when he was growing up as a kid, he's uh, he's Colombian, I believe. Crap, I don't have the exact story in my notes, but when he was a kid in Colombia, his dad would give him a stick and throw little kernels of corn for Williams to hit. So he has phenomenal hand-eye coordination, and that's why he doesn't strike out a lot because he's been hitting corn kernels since he was like four. And that's amazing because that's how he developed as a human being because he was learning that when he was he was developing. And to compare his elite ability to hit a baseball you know there are other hitters that have great hand-eye coordination that have turned into really elite hitters uh those guys i found are mookie betts jose alturve alturve jose altuve justin turner and jose ramirez those are all mvp or mvp candidate type dudes and williams astudio is in that category and as it sits right now, he's further developing his power by improving his launch angle, probably improving his bat speed as well, because that's what Ted Williams used to say. It's not really the power as much as the bat speed that makes the ball fly. And he's just getting better and better. And Williams Astudio, um, when he comes back this season and plays or next season, he could be a guy, I kid you not, that's in an MVP category, not because of his, not only because of his ability to hit. But listen to this. He can play every single position. He can play second, third, left field, catcher, center field, right field. He can play every percentage. Uh, they told him when he got to the pros, they were joking with him. And they're like, oh, you probably can't play center field because you're 5'9", 220. And he's like, yeah, I can. And he showed him a video. It's on YouTube of Williams Astudio, all 5'9", 220 of them, robbing a home run like in some summer Dominican league. So he is so valuable right now because, you know, when your team is in a situation where like if you need to create runs, Williams Astudio can get the bat on the ball to get on base or can get the bat on the ball to drive someone in. That's so valuable is being able to make contact in a game right now where it's never been harder for a hitter to make contact. Like, last night, Garrett Cole struck out 12 dudes in six innings. What? Like, that happens so much. 
And, you know, it's that plus his ability to play all of these different positions, man. And it's reasons like this when I say that the Twins have the best record in Major League Baseball right now. And, you know, they got good guys on the offensive side. They've got some good pitching. And these things could happen. And when Williams Estudio comes back, he could truly lead the way. I think by trade, he's a pitcher. But with his bat as what it is, or excuse me, by trade, he's a catcher. I think I said pitcher. I wouldn't be surprised. They're probably just going to stop playing him at catcher because he's such a valuable hitter. And he's a really good base runner too, man. But that is my over-the-top player of the week, Williams Astudillo, La Tortuga, Spanish for turtle. That's your guy, man. Google search him while you're at work if you're listening to this on Monday or if you're working today on a Sunday because I'll have this uploaded like at probably 2.30 Eastern time. Uh, Google this guy, man. He's so fun to watch, dude. Good stuff. All right. We might as well go over some news and notes to close this show out. Um, first things first, uploaded this morning at 643, Giants pitcher Derek Holland. He faked an injury so he didn't have to play baseball with the San Francisco Giants. Now, he's still a giant, but he says that San Francisco has, and I quote, no idea what they're doing in the front office. He faked an injury. He was basically like, yo, screw this. <laughs> hey, I'm hurt. <laughs> like, dude, that's like like when you're like a third grader at school, but you want to get out of school because you know um, it's like, I don't want to be here. And you could just say your stomach hurts and then you'll go home and your mom will give you bubblegum medicine. So that's basically what Derek Holland did. He was like, I got a stomach ache. I need to go home. And that's what it is, dude. And then basically, like, you get to leave school early. Your mom takes you for McDonald's because you have to eat lunch. But she had to leave work and didn't plan on this stuff. So all of a sudden, it's 1230. You're at home reading the Goosebump books, eating chicken nuggets with sweet and sour sauce. And you got a toy in the Happy Meal. That's what Derek Holland did, dude. I don't really know how this is going to turn out. He's like, uh, yeah, I faked it. He goes, yeah, I faked an, in an injury. I'm not really happy about it. I'm just frustrated with the front office. Bro, that's so dope, dude. That's what's up. I might try that tomorrow at work. I need to fake an injury somehow. Edwin Jackson, everyone's favorite pitcher, is about to play for his 14th team as the Oakland Athletics have just dealt him to the Toronto Blue Jays. Dude, like what's crazy about Edwin Jackson is he's had actually good seasons too. Last year with the Oakland Athletics, dude was like 6-4 and four with – I think like a 3.30 ERA. I'm about to tell you right now, he's thrown at least one no-hitter in his career. He's 6'3". He's 35 years old. Last season with Oakland, he uh, threw 92 innings at a 3.33 ERA, dude. Like, I don't know why more teams weren't gunning after this guy. He's only been an all-star once. Um, career, he's a, he only has 104 wins. He's thrown 1,800 innings. He's struck as a career. He has a 91 ERA plus, so he's worse than average, but he's had good seasons. No, maybe he hasn't really had that many good seasons. Uh, I think the Cubs signed him to a big contract once. He went 8 and 18 for him over 175 innings. He was an all star way back in 09, dude, but he's played 16 years. He's on his 14th team. He's. Who played for everybody, man. Dude, I'll tell you what's interesting, and I'll find a thread for it, maybe do it on another episode. But all of the good players that have played for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, it's on, and I say Devil Rays because it's been a while, 
But or like when the Devil Rays came through, there were like a lot of good players that played for the Devil Rays, like well after they were washed up. But Edwin Jackson's going, man, to another team, dude. He's well traveled. Like if I was a baseball player, I'd probably want to play for a lot of teams. But it's not because Edwin's disliked. It's because he's sort of just been like that fringe guy who has never been good enough to really just lock up with a, a team long term. But if a team needs a pitcher, it's like, do we need somebody like, yo, we know we can get Edwin for cheap. Um, it's sort of like, I don't know, like trying weed for the first time where like all your friends are doing it and like everyone's tried pot and you're just sort of like, uh, man, I would like to smoke some weed. Yo, let's try it. So now we have another team that's going to try out Edwin Jackson because everyone does it, man. And it's pretty legit, dude. So... Edwin Jackson, 16 teams, man. Cheers to you, my dude. Tim Tebow is batting like a buck 20 in AAA. Things are looking real bad for Tim Tebow, but he's not even letting it get to him. If if I was a guessing man, I would say he makes the adjustment, but I don't know. AAA, man, you know, those are guys that have been to the pros or going to go to the pros, and he's facing a whole nether level of stuff. And Tim Tebow may have just hit a spot where it's just not going to work out. There was a lot of hope, at least by me, man. I, Dude, I'm a sucker for Tim Tebow, man. I love Tim Tebow as a human being and as an athlete when he played football. And I was really hoping that he would make it up to the Mets this season because the Mets would probably just be the Mets and lose a lot of games. But they're actually probably going to be in contention. So because the Mets are good this year, Tim Tebow's there's no way in hell he's going to come up and play for the Mets probably unless something like really bad happens but Tim Tebow's not looking so hot in AAA so remember that and he's uh, he's up in Syracuse for the Syracuse Mets Sy Syracuse Mets yeah yeah all right uh last but not least man um one of the things I was super excited for coming into the regular season was if Madison Bumgarner was going to get traded he's one of my favorite pitchers ever and obviously currently right now I, I never really watch him much during the regular season because I just don't watch a lot of Giants baseball but Madison Bumgarner to baseball postseason is like Shawn Michaels to Wrestlemania he when the lights are on he's John Wayne my man he's Doc Holliday gunning down Johnny Ringo he's Mel Gibson beating up um, Gary Busey and Lethal Weapon 1 when like it's raining outside and the muscles are just flexing like Madison Bumgarner is Mel Gibson like before he got weird and everyone else is just Gary Busey getting beat up and Gary Busey in that movie is actually his name's Joshua which is wild like Joshua you gotta fight Joshua that's what it is dude but so Madison Bumgarner has just submitted his 18 no trade list I would imagine as bad as the Giants are doing and this being a walk year for Madison Bumgarner, they're going to look to move him. It only makes sense to do so. So Madison Bumgarner set up, that's what he was allowed, an eight-team no-trade list. That no-trade list, here are the eight teams. The Atlanta Braves, Boston Red Sox, Chicago Cubs, Houston Astros, Milwaukee Brewers, New York Yankees, Philadelphia Phillies, and St. Louis Cardinals. All contenders. But as it turns out, Bumgarner chose these teams strategically. He made his list completely out of contenders, basically saying those are going to be 
most of the teams, if not all of them, that are going to be in the market to acquire Madison Bumgarner. So this is a way for Mad Bum to control where he goes. So, for example, there might be multiple trade offers on the table. Let's say once from the Atlanta Braves and once from the St. Louis Cardinals, and then that way he can choose and say, I'll approve the Cardinals one, but I won't approve the Atlanta Braves one, and that's what we've got here. So this is a way of Mad Bum to controlling where he goes. Um Obviously, if I, I would love to see Madison Bumgarner in a Chicago Cubs jersey. If he came to the north side, I would lose my lid, man. I was just calling for work for like the next two weeks and go watch the next Cubs homestand. Teams that probably really need him, the Red Sox desperately need him. They have the bats to go back-to-back World Series, I think, for sure. But their pitching, I think, is a little suspect. But it's mostly with the Red Sox. They need like heavy bullpen guys. So I don't see Bumgarner as a Red Sox. I for sure see him as an Atlanta Brave because Madison Bumgarner is from North Carolina, which is 100% Braves territory, and him pitching in Atlanta, dude, he's in the South. I think he would thrive, and really, the Atlanta Braves need him. Mike fulton has just come off the disabled list, so he's going to be slow to get going, but no doubt about it that the Braves have a phenomenal foundation what it takes to get to a World Series. They've got amazing bats. Ronald Acuna is elite, my friends, elite. He was an MVP talks last year, probably will be this year for sure. So the Braves, the, the, the Braves to me look like a great fit for Mad Bum. The Houston Astros, they have the farm system to get Madison Bumgarner. And I would just lose my lid if Justin Verlander and Madison Bumgarner were on the same team. And if you're the Houston Astros management and you sit back and think, I could send a team to the postseason with Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, and Madison Bumgarner. That's huge. Garrett Cole struck out 12 guys last night in six innings. And alone, Bumgarner and Verlander are so clutch, it's unbelievable. And that will elevate everyone in that clubhouse. I would say the team that would be most improved by adding, adding Madison Bumgarner, it would be the Houston Astros. They would be just downright scary. Obviously, the Brewers could use him because they don't have a starting pitcher. They don't have a true number one on their team. Zach Davies is pitching good. If you don't watch a lot of Brewers baseball, Zach Davies has a sub-2 ERA right now. He's had a really good season. The Yankees, obviously. I mean, me personally, like I don't want to see Bumgarner pitch in the Yankees. I don't think he would want to pitch for the Yankees, but... Yo, that's a hell of a way to be remembered. Madison Bumgarner going in there, guns a-blazing, right? Doc Holliday style, Wyatt Earp style, and winning a World Series with the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. That's huge. And when the Yankees get all their studs back, because the Yankees are playing really good baseball right now, and like most of their teams on the disabled list, so that'd be freaking huge. And then, of course, the Phillies, man, to add Madison Bumgarner to a mix of Aaron Nola and J.K. Arrieta would be amazing. The Phillies are good, but the St. Louis Cardinals would probably be my other pick. I think the Cardinals would have the trade pieces to get Madison Bumgarner. And, I mean, Madison Bumgarner in a Cardinals uniform, I mean, that's pretty historic as well. So I would say, like, I could see the Cubs, the serious contenders, I would say, would be like the Astros, Cubs, Braves, Cardinals. For sure. I don't think the Yankees will move on him because I don't think the Yankees need him as much. But I you know I don't even know that the Cubs do really. Like, honestly, it might be like a Cardinals Braves thing 
because the Cardinals have a really good bullpen as it sits, and the Braves really need like a number one ace starter to just further cement what they're doing and elevate and get over that next hump. But Madison Bumgarner could be on the trade block, man. Wherever he goes, I'm buying a uh, Mad Bum jersey, dude. All-time pitcher. His postseason numbers, dude, it's completely unheard of. I'll give them to you right now, man. Hold on one second. Let's go to baseball reference. I'll read them, and then we'll end the show. So this will be the last thing I say to you. Hold on. Um, let's do Madison Bumgarner. Let's get into postseason numbers. They're filthy, man. Okay. So he has 102 postseason innings pitched. He's 8-3 with a 2.11 ERA. It doesn't have like his ERA plus. His whip, so walks and hits per inning pitched, is .899. So a sub-1 whip, a 2.11 ERA in 102 postseason innings. His World Series numbers in, he's been to three World Series. In the World Series, he's 4-0 with a 0.25 ERA over 36 innings with a 0.5 whip and 3.5 hits per nine innings and 0.3 home runs per nine innings, which means out of his 36 innings, one guy hit a home run off of him. And he's got 31 strikeouts in 36 innings with only five walks and no intentional walks because you bet your ass Madison Bumgarner doesn't intentionally walk anybody. Uh, dude, it's huge, man. All right, wrap it up, man. Thanks for listening. Happy Mother's Day. Go find your mom. Tell you love her. And we'll see you guys on the next show, man. Take care. Have a phenomenal week. See you next time.